Coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast, for some of us, Sark is not a life and death situation. But for Reg Alexander, it was touch and go. And all of a sudden, I get hit with this this fast heart rhythm again. I mean, this one now, this is big. This is like, wait a minute, this is this is not cool. I don't know what this is going on, really. This is really going fast. I was starting to sweat. I was starting to get the shakes. Reginald's fight with Sark and how it took a heart transplant to save his life. To find a way to try and adapt your life. It's not the why, but the how that plagues my mind. A new perspective. Appreciate what you've got. With dead men walking in an instant, it could be gone. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Welcome. This is episode 15 of the Sark Fighter podcast. I can't believe we're already at 15. Uh, you are hearing right now in the background the official Sark Fighter song, or you just heard it, called Zombie by Mark Steyer and the White Hot Lizards. He is a fellow Sark Fighter, and you can hear his story and the inspiration for the lyrics in episode 12. It's a beautiful song, and he and I went through it, not word by word, but sentence by sentence, and he talked about how those lyrics really were inspired by his battle with sarcoidosis. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to episode 12. You'll hear a lot more of the song. You'll hear it at the end in its entirety of episode 12. Um, it's a great song, and he has said, yes, you can use it as the theme music for the Sark Fighter podcast. And I just want to put that right out there. Of course, I call this the Sark Fighter podcast because I'm fighting Sark, and so are you. And you might be a patient, a caregiver, a researcher, uh, somebody working in the field somehow related. But if you're interested in hearing what's going on here, you're also a Sark fighter. Thank you for listening. And if you're new to the podcast, well, uh, this is a place where I feel like Sark folks can gather. Uh, you sometimes feel like you're all alone. I've heard that over and over. People who live in areas where even big cities, and they say, you know, I don't know anybody else who has sarcoidosis, and uh, and this is great because now I can hear that there are other people who are fighting like me. And so I release a new podcast every other Monday, and so this is episode 15, and, uh, and here we are with the most recent episode. So now, uh, I want to point out that we are still in the COVID situation as I record this. Yeah, I'm recording on August 11th of 2020 to be released in a few days, and we're still in the, the midst of the big COVID crisis. And a lot of SARC patients are wondering, well, um, am I more at risk because I'm immune suppressed? Uh, should I be going out? Should, should I be the one who's staying home and sheltering in place? 
And we talked about that with Dr. Robert Boffman from the University of Cincinnati. He's one of the big names in the fight against sarcoidosis. And, and he talks about, uh, in episode nine, uh, about whether or not you are more at risk because you have sarcoidosis to COVID. And if you want to go back and listen to that, that's the first real data that's been available. Uh, as I speak right now, that is uh, a couple of months old, uh, but I still think it's extremely relevant. And it's, um, it's as much as we know right now, uh, that when I say we, I mean what medical science knows right now about sarcoidosis so, and COVID. So you might want to go back and listen to Dr. Boffman. And thank you to him. And I'll, I'll be uh, pinging him soon to see if he has any updates. So stay tuned. Um, and by the way, if, if you were, have found this because you are new to sarcoidosis, maybe newly diagnosed and trying to just figure out what it's all about, uh, episode two is great with Dr. Simon Hart. Uh, he joined me from the UK and he goes over all the basics about what SARC is. I even asked him, I said, if you could take a a piece of sarcoidosis and look at it under a microscope, what would it look like? And he talked about that a little bit. So that's episode two. Um, and really, so what I'm doing here with the Sark Fighter podcast is I'm trying to build a body of information where you can listen to any episode at any time and it's still relevant. And it's uh, I'm, I'm just trying to build this whole repository of stuff about sarcoidosis where you can where you can listen whether you're driving or whether you're stuck at home maybe you are trying to fight uh, the whole covid threat and you're looking for something to do you're wondering about what's going on with sark and and so i i would look at the 14 episodes prior to this one and say all of them are still relevant in some way and something that that you might want to give a listen to but if you're new to it dr simon hart i just asked him all the basics about sarcoidosis and and I think it's uh that's a good one to look, go back and listen to. Uh and of course there's many uh episodes right now with uh, the various players at the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research who I'm working in conjunction with um with whom I am working in conjunction uh if I'm going to follow my proper grammar. Um which I don't always do. Uh, but anyway, uh, you can hear the different folks uh, talking about the foundation and all the great work that's happening there, um, including uh, uh, Andrea and Redding Wilson, who started the foundation. And, and they came on a couple episodes ago, and Andrea has, has got a, uh, she's had a terrible battle with sarcoidosis. And that was when she was looking for answers, she decided there was no place to go, and that's that's how we all got here. So um, go back and, and listen to that as well. Um, I want to get to my interview with Reginald as quickly as I can. He is a deeply religious man, and he'll be sharing with us how God may have been looking down as he was in a very public place, and he might have died, really, uh, had he not passed out directly in front of a doctor and a nurse. So it does seem somewhat miraculous uh, somebody was looking out for him that day, and, and he talks about that story coming up. Reginald has a Facebook page where he, he's quite active. He's also working on two books, and as always, all the information will be in the show notes if you want to find out more about Reginald and his story, but uh, you're going to hear a good part of it here today on the podcast. Uh, I mentioned 
in a recent podcast, including the last one, that I've been feeling the onset of a flare from my SARC on my spinal cord on the back of my neck. I have been to the Cleveland Clinic. The doctors say it's not a flare. That's a good thing. The tightness in my back has subsided a little bit after a week of vacation in Vermont, including a couple of great bike rides in Burlington, Vermont, and also Granville, New York. And then it's right on the Vermont, New York border. And we kind of went in and out of New York and Vermont. That was a beautiful ride. And these are easy rides if people like to travel with bicycles. And I'll be writing a post on my bike blog, which is called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. And a lot of SARC patients have found me through that. Uh, and you can check that out under carlinthecyclist.com, and there is a link in the show notes. But I just talk about being active with sarcoidosis, and for me, my bike rides are kind of like my thermometer that tell me how I'm doing versus the disease, and I'm just happy that I can still ride my bike. You know, most of last year, 2019, um, there came a point where I couldn't even ride the bike anymore. Uh, and now I'm back out on it, and I've actually have been able to log a couple hundred miles per month for the last two months, and, and I'm feeling great about that. I just mentioned the tightness in my back. The last time I had that, that feeling in my back, it was uh, the indication that a flare was coming on. Um, so that's that's why I mentioned it. And it's not incapacitating, but it's certainly not comfortable. And I'm hoping now that maybe a, a chiropractor can can figure it out for me. But anyway, uh, enough about me. Coming up, my interview with Reginald Alexander. The Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to finding the cure for this disease and to improving care for sarcoidosis patients worldwide. Since its establishment in 2000, FSR has fostered over $5 million in sarcoidosis-specific research efforts and has provided disease education and support for thousands of individuals navigating life with sarcoidosis. Learn more about FSR and how they're supporting those impacted by this disease at www.stopsarcoidosis.org. Well, hello and welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin, and it is my pleasure today to introduce to you a real Sark warrior, a real Sark fighter, and uh, Reginald Alexander is here with us today. And uh, Reginald, uh, you have really gone to war with this. In fact, you have uh, you have fought sarcoidosis, and it almost took you out of here. And, and here you are talking to us this morning. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I am so, so happy to be on the broadcast. This is great. No kidding. Yeah. So you had. Uh, we're going to talk about your story, but you had uh, sarcoidosis in your heart, and it went. It got so bad you had to have a heart transplant. Um, which is about as uh, serious as it gets, near as I can tell. Um, and I want to I take listeners back and have you tell your story uh, about how it started with you, you know, not really knowing what was going on, and then you had some episodes, and the next thing you know, uh, you, you, you find out sarcoidosis. So you were, um, you were taking out the trash one day, and it just didn't feel right. All right, that was that was sort of the beginning. You want to share that story with us? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. Um, one particular, <clears throat> excuse me. It was doing a little after Christmas season, going into the first of the year. Um, I had actually had my student 
missionary students, missionaries staying with me at the time for the Christmas wow. season. This was so, what, 2016, 2015? Yes, uh, it was 20, it was around 20, late 2015 going into 2016. Okay. December, the last week of December going into the first of the year. Um, I was hit with some, um, I was hit with some fast um, rhythm heart rates um, in my chest there in my heart. Um, I was healthy, um, did not know exactly what was going on, never experienced anything of this nature before. At that time, I just know that my heart was racing very fast. I was taking out the trash uh-huh. and, um, one evening, and after taking out the trash, walking back towards my home, that's when the heart rate started started hitting me. The fast heart rate started hitting me. What's hitting that feel heart. like? I mean, what, what does that feel like, a fast heart rate? You know, at this time, this was my first time experience, and I just know that my heart was racing, um, you know, within about a couple minutes or so, I was not able to walk as fast. My walk, my steps was pretty slow. I was having some little breathing issues. Again, I was healthy, never experienced any of these symptoms before. Didn't know exactly what was going on. So you're like 40, 42 about that time? Yeah, I was about 40, 42 years of age around that time. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so, and you've been athletic or, I mean? Um, I mean, in my younger years, I was pretty athletic. Uh, basketball, uh-huh. football, baseball, sure. you know, track those things of that nature. But um, as I was older, you know, got older, you know, I kind of got away from the sports, but yet I was still pretty active. I ran a youth program. So I had to keep up with my college students pretty often playing basketball or just hanging out with them. But, you know, I was always on the go with them on a regular basis. Sure. So there's no reason for you to believe that you've got any heart trouble at all. None at all. You know, heart issues really don't run in my family at all. Um, Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so you kind of, um, you kind of passed that off. Uh, you, you, you went to the hospital that night, and they told you, don't worry about it. Uh, probably never happened again, but it did. So then the next thing you were telling me about was when you were, in, uh, you were, in a, you were taking a Greek class? Yes, I was taking some classes at Washington Adventist University um, there in the D.C. metro area. And so working on my degree for theology, so I was taking a Greek class. And so uh, I was at the chart board writing some Greek on the, um, you know, and uh, we was, you know, basically writing out some, you know, a text or so in Greek. And uh-huh. so there I'm, at, I'm at the chalkboard writing. And before you know it, I started getting that fast heart rate again. And this time I started sweating. Um, I started shaking at the board. And I said, man, I don't know if this Greek is causing this or what. But, you know, but again, I was sitting at the board and uh, writing Greek and started having these fast heart rate, things of that nature. And I share with my professor, I said, look, something's wrong again. I mean, I just experienced this a couple of weeks ago, but something's wrong. And I just asked my professor, would it be, you know, would it be okay for me to leave the class and walk across the field to the Adventist, uh, I think it's called Washington Adventist Hospital. And if I could walk across the field to get myself checked in in the ER. And so they can see exactly what's taking place. And um, once I got there, it didn't take them long. Um, I share with them my condition, what was going on. Um, they, you know, they was able to check the heart rate. I think they hooked up an EKG. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they discovered that my, my heart was, was racing. It was, um, um, it was, you know, it was going up and down, up and down. It wasn't a steady, you know, pace. And so they said, man, Reg, we're going to have to check you in right away. And, um, they checked me in. I ended up staying in the hospital for about a week, um, as they was running tests, trying to figure out what's, what's, what's going on. Yeah. But they didn't, yes. So, so you stay in the hospital for a week. They still don't have any idea it's sarcoidosis, do they? No, yeah. no not at all. Not so, at all. So, then you, so you get through that, and 
How, how much longer is it when you had this episode when you were at the zoo? Okay, before the zoo, uh, about a year and a half, I was going through these symptoms um, in and out of the hospitals. You know, it could be sometime a week, two or three days. Me and my wife, you know, she's there with me. Um, and the thing is, they was always treating the symptoms, but never was able to discover what the cause were to these symptoms. Um, they just kept saying, you know, Reg, we're going to give you some medication at the beginning. Then before you know, um, the, the symptoms started getting worse. Um, my wife was getting frustrated because, you know, every few weeks or so, you know, she's like, something is wrong. We're calling the hospital. But every three months, something major would happen. So for the first month, you know, um, I had to get ablation you know, uh, an ablation. And then, you know, before that, they say, Reg, the next two or three months, your heart, uh, you have partial heart blockage. The next three months or so, Reg, now you have complete heart blockage. The next three months, Reg, now, you know what I'm saying, your, your heart has enlarged. So something was always going on, like every three months or something of that nature for about a year and a half, something major, which, um, so me and my wife, wasn't, we wasn't too happy with the service we was getting there. Because uh, we couldn't get answers to these issues. So we right. end up going to um, uh, uh, John Hopkins. And before going to John Hopkins, now the Washington Avenue Hospital did put in the first pacemaker. Um, oh, and so, okay. yes. And so, the, uh, so, but John Hopkins looked over at my heart. They said, man, Reg, you know what? You're going to need, you got complete heart blockage. So you're going to need a, a pacemaker to pace both sides with a defibrillator. And so we end up getting a defibrillator. Um, let me see, I can give you the exact date, around May 2017. Okay. And so they said, we'll see you back in about four months. Now, in the, so May has gone, June has gone, July 9, 2017. That, uh, when I was hit with the VT attack at the zoo. Yeah, so and, you're, uh, you're at the zoo, take us to the, you're there with your kids? I'm there with my kids, my wife, two, um, Jan, uh, uh, um, July, July 9, 2017, at the zoo around 12.30, 1.30 in the afternoon. I'm there with my kids. Now, let me pause there. Before, the day we got the, the um, defibrillator with the pacemaker, my doctor at John Hawkins said, Reg, we need to check in. We need to check to see do you have sarcoidosis. Oh, really? They, that was the first time I ever heard that word. Um, never heard of it. Didn't know anything about it. But they said, Reg, you know what? Um, in about a few months, you know what I'm saying, we need to check in to see that, you know, to see that you have sarcoidosis. We need to begin that process. And so we never got to that date because I was hit with the, now I was supposed to see them in August, but I was hit with the attack July uh, 2009, 2017 at the zoo with my family. We're talking with Reg Alexander, a cardiac SARC patient here on the SARC Fire podcast today. So Reg, um, Let's pick your story back up. You're walking along at the zoo. You're with your kids. You're holding hands. You're looking at lions. You're looking at bears. You're getting nice. What's going on? And then all of a sudden, it's not. Okay. Well, let me share with you. The, uh, now, this is – I'll share with you what took place at the zoo. Um, so, me and my wife, we traveled from Olderton, Maryland, down to the D.C. Washington Zoo, Washington, D.C. Zoo. It's about a 45 minutes drive. And so, once I get to the zoo – I uh, parked the car. Matter of fact, let me share this with you. The day was packed. I'm at the light, there's a sign on the side of the road, you know, at the entrance saying, um, no parking, full day. And so I'm at the light, it's turning yellow. I'm thinking, should I move forward and get parking in the neighborhood or should I make this left? I see cars coming out, so I make the left. I said, man, gotta be some parking. So parking lane eight is full. 
I get to parking lot B and I notice a spot. So I make that right. I get into the lot and I see another spot right up ahead, right in front of the, one of the main entrance closer because I just took a water peel that morning. So I need to get to the restroom. Fluids is building up around the lungs. You know how it goes. And, yeah. uh, and so, yes, yeah, so I parked the car back in that lot. I shared with my wife and my kids, look, man, dad, we'll meet you on the other side of the zoo. I got to get to the restroom. So less than about, I was long, I was probably about 30 seconds from the entrance. Once I make my way into the entrance or 30 seconds or less, once I get inside of the zoo, um, within about 20 seconds, I pass out. Hmm. I pass out. Just coming off the highway, I pass out. And so I passed out right in front of a surgeon, and his wife was a registered nurse. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. And so he's doing, um, you know, what he needs to do uh, to get me through um, that, that episode there. I'm on the ground. I passed out. I wake up. And he's, you know, he asked me if I'm okay, things of that nature. I said, I think I'm fine. Are you dehydrated? I said, I don't think so. I just had, you know, just drunk plenty of water. Right. And so I'm sitting up on the ground. And, um, but before that, coming out of the attack, passing out, there was an a, a, a older gentleman. He was praying on the ground. He had his knees on, you know, he was on his knees, had his hands on me praying over my life while there was a surgeon there as well and his wife. And I said, look at that, man, the beautiful thing, the divine and, and the medical piece working hand in hand together, man. And so, um, and so I come out of that, I uh, hear the guy praying, the doctor asked me, Reg, are you okay? And I say, yes, blah, blah, blah. And so um, I'm sitting up, my wife finally makes, makes it over to where I am. And so I'm sitting up, I'm so weak, she has to sit down on the ground and her back is against my back. So we're both sitting on the ground. He's talking with me, making sure I'm okay. Before you know it, I'm passing out again, having another VT attack. My wife shares with me that she feels this weight pushing her back. And before I know it, um, I hear the surgeon saying, now I didn't know he was a surgeon at that time, but I, you know, you know, beginning, you know, I hear the surgeon says, he's passing out, he's passing out again. Lay him down on the ground, lay him down on the ground. So they lay me down on the ground. He said, lift his legs up. They're throwing water on my face. They're trying to keep the sun off my face as well. Um, so he's doing all kinds of different little things to kind of keep me from not going out. And so, um, so once I pass out there the second, well, I'm going out the second time. Um, he was able to get me through that. That is where I'm thinking, man, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to make it because, you know, I'm feeling all kind of weird. My body is hot. I'm moaning and groaning out of the mouth. My legs are moving. My eyes are probably going in the back of my head. My wife is saying, man, I never seen Reg look like that before. And so, um, so again, I got through that little episode there. And so um, the ambulance family shows up and um, they take me to the hospital there in the D.C. area. Uh, before they was able to take me, they had to get my heart you know, into rhythm a little bit, you know, a little bit more. It was out of sync. It was just up and down real fast. You still have, you have a pacemaker at this time, right? Yes, I had a pacemaker and a defibrillator at this time as well. Okay. So, Go ahead. No, so oh, yes. like yes. in the ambulance and they're trying to get you right and you're praying that you don't die, right? Yes, sir. Yes, I'm praying that I don't die in front of my wife and kids. And so I'm wrestling with the Lord. I get the prayer warrior there as well. The surgeon is there. It's got, I got all kinds of things working in my favor. The ambulance family shows up. Um, they're not able to um, leave the campuses yet. Matter of fact, they're not able to put me in the ambulance because my heart was still racing. I'm still in VT mode at that time. Um, didn't realize it, but you know, but that was what was going on at that time, according to the doctors. And so they, uh, they was able to get the heart under control just a little bit to put me on a stretcher and then roll me into the ambulance. 
Uh, once they got me in there, they said, Rich, we still can't move yet. They still had to get the heart rhythm under control a little bit more, and they was able to do so. And then um, ended up taking me to the hospital. Near, I can't remember the name of the hospital, but so around the corner from the zoo there in the Washington, D.C. area. And so the um, so I'm there for quite a few hours. So that my wife shared with me, I don't even remember this, but my wife shared with me that they had to put those patches on me to shut my heart back at the rhythm. Really? Okay. Get it stable. So now I'm there. So they called John Hopkins. They realized John Hopkins my care. But before they called them, they said, you know what? This brother got a, he has a pacemaker and a defibrillator. Why this thing didn't go off? So they were scratching their head trying to figure out why this thing didn't go off to shock his heart back at the rhythm. And so it never went off. Really? Never went off. Never went off. Well, uh, so, so at this <laughs> point, you still don't know you have sarcoidosis. No. You just know that your heart isn't working the way it's supposed to be. Yes. So you leave the zoo, you go to the hospital, and then did you wind up going to Johns Hopkins at some point and getting the sarcoidosis uh, so analysis, uh, diagnosis? Yeah, the same evening, they end up calling John Hopkins because they knew that was my care. So they said, John Hopkins, what do you want us to do with Reg? You want us to bring him in or just keep him here? They said, no, bring him in and, you know, and, um, and uh, take him to the fifth floor at John Hopkins Hospital. And that was, that's based, that was the beginning of my, um, you know, um, what, what I'm looking for. Um, that's, I, well, the fifth floor now, you know, became a place where I began to know very well. <laughs> Is that what you <laughs> call the foxhole? I call it the foxhole, the fifth floor, the foxhole. Right, and it's because it's like a battle, and yes. people don't know what a foxhole is. That's something you dig into in battle so that you don't get shot. It gives you yes. cover, and yes, you and you try to emerge alive from a foxhole at the end of the battle. And so that's that's why you call it the foxhole. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that you correct. And so they call so they called my hospital there, and they they said bring them on in to the fifth floor. So. Once I got there, the doctor showed up, the nurses showed up, you know, they're prepping me, getting, you know, hooking me up. And the doctors come and said, man, Reg, you had a, quite an event, man. Yes, I almost died. And so they said, this is what we're going to do, Reg. Now, keep in mind, um, I've been with John Hopkins now for a couple, about three months now. And so I'm still new with John Hopkins. Um, and so they said, Reg, you know what? Uh, this week, we're going to try to find out what is the cause for these heart issues. And number two, we're going to try to find out why did that defibrillator did not go off. And so it was that week in the hospital for about five days that they discovered I had cardiac sarcoidosis. They ran a couple of tests. They said, Reg, we think you got cardiac, but we're going to run some tests based on where the attack hits you in the lower chamber of your heart, the VT. We think that you have cardiac sarcoidosis. So they ran some tests and they came back positive that got cardiac sarcoidosis running down the center of my heart. Wow. And uh, before that, now I want to share this with you before that. Uh, within the, the day or two, they looked at the, the, the defibrillator and they looked at the history. Now they discovered that my heart, the that the attack hit me around 217 um, beats per minute, 217 beats per minute. Um, the no, I take it back. The attack hit me around 213 beats per minute. Uh, the defibrillator was set at 217 beats, 217 beats per minute. I was a few points shy from the defibrillator kicking in. I was in the red zone. Now they said that Reg, you was in the red zone for about an hour and 15 to 20 minutes. So keep in mind that remember I shared with you, it took about 45 minutes from my home in Odenton, Maryland to the zoo there in DC, about 45 minutes on the highway. So I'm going down 95, highway 32, 495, and I'm in the red zone. I could have had the attack two minutes after leaving the house, one minute after leaving the house. 
five minutes after leaving the house on the highway with my family could have killed my, me, my family, and other individuals on the road. But no, I got driving. I was, I was the one driving, feeling good. No symptoms. Um, I just had some fluids built up. I was feeling fine. I said, you know, the day we went to the zoo, I said, come on, kids, wife, y'all still want to go to the zoo? Let's go. And I just came, you know, I just drove from Virginia. So I'm feeling pretty good that day. And I'm driving down the highway, and the attack hit me uh, less than a minute getting into the zoo. Wow, 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 wow. So, all right, so now you've got sarcoidosis, and you're in the hospital. What do they do about it? So they just, you know, you know what they did is basically, they, number one, they just started with, um, well, they changed the defibrillator setting. <laughs> no longer 217 beats per minute. They brought it down to like 168, 180, somewhere around there. Okay. And uh, my body was very weak. Um, I mean, it's almost, almost like I kind of just came out of a stroke, you know, member, uh, you know, memory, you know, memory loss. I couldn't, you know, short for words. Um, I can barely walk to the point that my wife said, you know, uh, when they released me, she was like, Reg, I think I want to, I think I want to turn back around and have them just keep you because you, you know, you're not looking well at all. Um, and so what they did basically was, um, just starting out on some medication and we're going to do medication therapy and see what happens. See, can we preserve the heart? Uh, you, you know, get sarcoidosis under, under control. Well, uh, and so I don't know, the other people have been on this podcast and, and I myself have been through a long list of the standard drugs that they give to people who have sarcoidosis, whether it's methotrexate or prednisone or uh, cytoxin or whatever. And I don't know if it's different for a heart patient. Uh, do you remember what drugs they were giving you? Um, I do not remember all the drugs, but I do remember prednisone was one. Yeah. Uh, another drug called Celsep. I was already on that before. Okay. Um, and then um, I remained on my heart medication. I can't remember any of those, those medications, but it's for AFib and a um, couple of heart medication, you know, medication. And, but prednisone was one of the new ones that they put me on coming out right. of the hospital. That's yeah. usually what they do right away when they discover it's sarcoidosis. And prednisone will... Of course, you're feeling so many crazy things just because of your heart. Uh, you know, somebody like me or some of the other folks who've been on the Sark Fighter podcast, you know, sarcoidosis uh, messes up their life, but then they take prednisone and it makes it worse. Your yes, life yeah. is already messed up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, most definitely, man. I, yeah. So the prednisone really probably wasn't a big issue for you, was it? Um, you know, at that time, I didn't know much about prednisone. Um, I just know I wanted, you know, I wanted to live. And so, you know, the doctors seemed that they knew, they knew exactly what they was doing. They was, you know, kind of giving me, you know, positive talks. And I said, look, man, I take it, you know. Again, at that time, I didn't know much about pregnancy, but, uh, but now, you know, I was like, you know, I got to figure out how to get off this stuff, man. Right. Did, did you blow <laughs> up? Did your face blow up? And You know, um, I didn't blow up. I, I, I might have, you know, I got a little moon face for just for a short season. But for the most part, my weight remains this, you know, I lost a lot of weight after the attack. Mm. Um, my weight dropped. Um, my weight dropped. But I, I would say that um, I did not gain any weight for the most part for a very long time. Mm. Um, but, but I'm a vegetarian, basically vegan. Uh, you know, close to being a vegan. And so uh, I think that one of the ish reasons why I didn't probably blow up as much, I keep saying, well, probably because of my diet. A lot of 80%, about 75% raw at that time for, for, a long, for a long period of time. I, I want to get back to that because we've talked about <laughs> diet quite a lot on this podcast. Okay. But right now, uh, I've got, I'm following your story and we've got you in the hospital. And I know eventually you go from that episode to where they tell you you need a heart 
transplant. Okay. So give me the, the quick version yes. of, if you would, okay. of how you went from, okay, they're giving me, they've got, they know it's di- uh, then you're diagnosed with sarcoidosis and uh, they're going to give you some medication and you go through that whole thing, but, but it doesn't really work because they're not able to get it under control, right? Yes. Yes. So, so what about when do they decide, oh man, we got, this guy has to have a heart transplant. Um, you know, this, this, the basic symptoms, the fatigue of uh, the shortness of breath, it just kept getting worse and worse within about a 13 year, a 13 months period. Yeah. Uh, from the time of the diagnosis of the sarcoidosis, uh, about 13 months, they were trying to hit it hard with the medication, but the medication would not work. Um, therapy, um, you know, diet, those things wouldn't work. And so, but the symptom was getting worse, the fatigue and things of that nature, the shortness of breath. So what they did is that they said, Reg, we want to bring you into John Hopkins. We got another test we want to run. It was called the right catheter. They ran a right catheter uh, uh, procedure, uh, ran a right catheter down the right side of my neck there into a major artery into the heart. And they ran that procedure, that test, and they discovered that I had low cardiac output. Um, it showed on the test that I had, my, my heart was pumping up, pumping two liters of blood per minute. Um, to understand what that means in layman's terms, an average person heart pumps between five to seven liters of blood per minute. I was pumping at a two. Before there's a two, there's a one. Before there's a one, there's a zero. So they said, Reg, your heart is done. I mean, your, your heart's functioning around 15%. Uh, you get, the symptoms are getting worse. You got, you know, your, your, your heart's pumping out two liters of blood per minute. It is time. You got sarcoidosis on your heart. They said, Reg, we need to do it now because it hasn't spread throughout the body. And your organs are still pretty good for the most part. So let's do it now. So, you know, and then I think I was admitted to the hospital, I think around, I think it was September or August, may have been August maybe, August uh, 13th or so. I can't remember the date I was admitted to the hospital, yeah. August 2018. 18. I, th- I can't remember the day. It's September or August 2018. So you're in the hospital, hospital, and now you're there, and you are praying that, that a heart becomes available? How, how does that work? Yes, yes. So, um, um, and so I'm then in the hospital, um, you know, for three months, basically. And so I'm waiting, and um, just waiting. And so I'm in the hospital, and so I decided, you know what, because uh, I'm in the ministry, um, and so I'm in the hospital. I'm not able to work at this time. And so you know what? The hospital is going to become my mission field. And so basically what I did is that I just started a regional health journey ministry there on the fifth floor with videos and um, doing interviews with patients and in and the rooms. I became like a chaplain on the fifth floor. And yeah. yes. Yeah, uh, well, and I've looked at They're some of that on Facebook. So, so uh, and I'll put your, a link to your Facebook page in the show notes. But people can go and see you ministering to these people who are in also in, in a dire situation on the fifth floor yes. in the foxhole. Yes, sir. yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so that to me, it was a big blessing to me because it kept me occupied. Um, it, you know, for the first two months, I was in a room for 22 hours a day. I was hooked up to a monitor. Um, I was one of the last few patients that was um, up under the old system of um, waiting for a heart transplant. They, um, I had to walk. I had to wear a catheter in the right side of my neck. They, that kept me connected to a monitor, basically, that kept me in the room for 22 hours a day. And I was only able to go out maybe two times a day, 
about 30 minutes one time in the, you know, in the morning and in the evening where they would actually um, disconnect me from that monitor and put me on a portable monitor because the special medication that they had running into the heart, I don't remember the name of it, and also this right catheter, um, you know, it could call VTs, this medication I was on. So they need to keep an eye on me 24-7 a day, uh, making sure I don't go into VT. And so, that, and so the nurses couldn't walk with you every day, all day long. So they were only give you a few minutes a day in the morning and a few minutes at night. But I was in the room for 22 hours a day. So doing the Reginald Health Journey, um, live, you know, Facebook Live, things of that nature, I was learning Facebook. It just kept me busy. Um, and I was able to meet patients while I was out in the hallway for those few minutes a day and evening. And I was able to talk with them, pray with them, encourage them and get their story. And I would come back to the room. And I would get on Facebook and say, y'all, remember these, you know, these individuals on the fifth floor in the fox hole, you know, remember them. And, you know, we're praying for them. So, yeah, it was all kind of good things going on, encouraging them, doing a lot of writing as well. Like Paul was in prison, doing a lot of writing and sending them out. So I was doing a lot of writing of my experience from the word of God, encouraging individuals. And at the same time, I was being encouraged myself. And I met people from all walks of life. Uh, I met the first African-American guy, brother, who stabbed, you know, who uh, was, um, who owned a subway. He was the first guy to own a subway. I think really? they're in the DC area, yes. And, um, and he passed in the hospital. I was able to spend some time with him and encourage him. And we sit there and listen to uh, Aretha Franklin, old gospel songs. And I met a you know, well-to-do family from another Spanish country somewhere. I can't remember the, the name of the country, but they're doing very well. I mean, you know, they're like the elite there, man. So yeah, I was able to meet all kinds of folks from different walks of life. I met my, a colleague of mine, Van the man, he had sarcoidosis, and pulmonary sarcoidosis was waiting on the heart. So he got his about a month and a half before I did. And, but, um, but yeah, he was a sarcoidosis patient, so we spent a lot of time together in the hospital as well. And so, so, so you, got, you got basically 22 hours a day, you're in your room. The other two hours, you're out talking to these other patients. You're, you're ministering to them. Um, and, and I know that you've followed some of them. Some of them have passed in the meantime. Yes. So what happened? Let's take us up to the day. All of a sudden, they say, we've got a heart for you. Then what happened? Okay. So prior to the heart, I was able to get off the catheter because I kept getting an infection in my neck. So they, like two, three, about two times. So once you get two or three times an infection, they got to take the catheter out. So guess what? You're free to walk the hallways as long as you want. And so for the, the month prior to the heart transplant, I was able to walk around the hallways. So the week before the transplant, about two weeks, my health took for the worse. I was not able to really walk as much. I was not able to play, you know, the, the joke with the nurses and the doctors as much and the patients as much. So Reg's voice was beginning to become more silent in the hallway. Matter of fact, some of the patients would say, you know what, we haven't heard Reg, we haven't heard the music. Because I was known throughout the hospital, John Hopkins, the guy that would walk around the hallways with gospel, with inspirational music. So patients would be looking to hear it. And they were like, we haven't heard the guy that walking around with the music, is he okay? And so um, my health took a turn for the worse. I was able to walk. Uh, my cardiac output took a dive, you know, again. Um, heart is going out. Um, I'm losing, you know, I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's going on. I'm going through my own depression as well as I'm encouraging others. I'm asking, Lord, you know, I need some encouragement myself. And the patient's families began to encourage me. Why encourage the patient? And um, so, yeah, and so, so all of this is going on. I'm not able to walk. And then... Uh, I say about maybe three to four days before the heart transplant, or maybe a week, I did get a call and said, Rich, we have a heart for you. And they was prepping me, getting ready to take me to the back. And before I get to the back or so, they said, Rich, you know what? 
we cannot pursue anymore because we found a cancer cell in the body. The heart is good. The heart was great, but we're not going to take that chance. And about four days after that, around two o'clock in the morning again, my doctor came and said, Reg, guess what, man? We got a heart for you. And, um, and it was December 17, 2018, um, I received a heart transplant. Wow. Wow. And so do you have, do you have sarcoidosis in your body right now? According to the doctor, they say in my reports, and I did not know this before, but I look back at my old report, my reports because after surgery, I came out of surgery dealing with lung issues and things of that nature, breathing. So um, they wanted to see how sarcoidosis came out of remission. So based on the report, they said I may have a little, I have a little bit, I have traces of it in my lungs, but nothing to be, you know, concerned about at this time. And so, so they're saying, okay, so your heart is good now. So yes, the heart is good. We're we're talking. Um, in 2020, this is August of 2020. So you've had this new heart for give or take two years. Yes. Close to two. Yep. Okay. And what's life like? I mean, how, how do you come back from a heart transplant? Well, you know, chief, it, I would say it has been a struggle, uh, for the first year, year and a half. It's, you know, I say before the first year, little on a year and a half, it's been a struggle and it's still a little struggle. Um, when I came out of trans, matter of fact, um, I was I was hit with this thing called primary graft dysfunction. Are you familiar with that? Have you heard That's of that? That's where your body starts to reject the heart. Yes, sir. My body was so weak, and I do believe because of psychosis, um, the lungs uh, was hit very hard. Uh, yeah. The body kept rejecting the organ during the procedure. Uh, one reg, are you gonna? You know, they was wondering would I make it through the night? But you know, by God's grace, I got through the procedure. The heart wouldn't work. So the left side wouldn't work, and they were able to get it working. The right side wasn't working, so they was able to get the right side working. And they came out, and they shared with to my wife, we did not know how sick Reggie was. You know now, psychosis patient, we don't look as sick. We, don't, you know, we can look fine, we can look yeah. good, but, you know, but our bodies, we know our bodies tell us something different. But they said we did not know how sick Reggie was. That's what they were sharing to my wife. And so the, uh, and coming out of surgery with this primary graft dysfunction, I was still in, I was still being hit with that. Um, and so they kept my chest open for a week. I was, uh, what, I don't know what you call it, but I was in a coma. Um, and, but I was still able to hear, but not able to open my eyes. And so they had my chest open with a balloon pump connected to the heart to help the heart to function because the body was steady with constantly, I guess it was still rejecting to a certain degree. And then to the point they would say, okay, now we can remove the pump. And about two weeks after that, I went to cardiac arrest. The new heart stopped. Mm. Mm. And so, so what do they do then? So how do you fix that? <laughs> well, they just put, well, they um, shot the heart back into rhythm. Shot those it, yeah. pads, and they turn around and they had to put a pacemaker. Had to get another pacemaker with a new heart. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so that was for about a week. And so the stroke, so the recovery has been very challenging because my left diaphragm got diminished. And I have full-blown pneumonia in the right lungs. And then I'm dealing with, you know, then my lungs collapse as well. And I'm dealing with primary grass dysfunction. So because of all of that, my body still hasn't been able to recover as fast as it should. But overall, I'm doing okay. But the recovery was, it was, it was, I mean, I was in a hospital for two months. ICU for a whole month. And sure. I had to go to rehab about a week and a half before I left. They're at the hospital at John Hopkins. I just couldn't walk. Breathing issue, breathing machines all day. Um, like I couldn't eat for, for quite a few weeks. I was uh, uh, eating tube, um, a feeding tube. It was rough, man. It was, it was painful. 
um, not anxiety, depression. It was, it was, it was very challenging. I didn't talk to anybody for a very long period of time. Didn't even talk to my girls on the phone. I just couldn't, I couldn't talk for a long time. Um, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a very, it was very challenging. It was a rough recovery, but overall right now I'm doing pretty good. Uh, overall, I'm moving forward. So, so you get up in the morning and you give me, just walk me through your day in terms of how you feel and what okay. you're able to do. Yes. Um, I get up, you know, uh, my life is pretty normal, um, but I, I have a new norm. Uh, you know, I'm not able to do what I used to do before sure. 2016, but I'm still able to walk. I'm able to, to, to walk. I do my, you know, I, do, I walk throughout, I do a lot of walking um, throughout the week. I'm not able to really run. Um, you know, I still have breathing issues from time to time. The lungs are still not the greatest. Um, you know, um, you know, I'm able to fix my own food. I got two little girls, five and a seven year old, so they keep me pretty worked up, pretty good. And so I have to learn my limits with them as well. Sometimes I gotta say, look, baby girls, daddy gotta get some rest because I get very fatigued after I put out so much. Then with them in the morning, maybe two, three hours before you know it, man, I gotta crash. You know, I'm like, man, I'm tired. I got to take a nap for a minute. Um, but for the most part, I'm able to do the normal things. You know, I'm able to cook, eat, you know, go so up you, on my Are you working? Are, are you a minister in a church on Sundays? Or, I know that you're in the ministry, but what, are you able to continue to do that? Or what does that look like? Um, you know, um, I'm still able to work uh, at this point because of COVID. I actually, you know, I'm in the field of evangelism. Uh, I work for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so I'm in the field for evangelism. So I'm usually mostly out into the community, uh, things of that nature. Um, and so it's just because of COVID, you know, I'm not able to do as much at this time. Uh, and so, but I'm, so I just kind of been focusing on my health, trying to improve my health and to work on my diet and things of that nature. But that's what's going on. Yeah. All right. So, so right now you're not taking any medication for sarcoidosis? Uh, pregnancy, I'm still on pregnancy. They said, Reg, oh. you'll be on that for the rest of your life. That's what they share with that. How many milligrams do you take every day? Um, right now I am on seven milligrams a day. Seven. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. yeah. But at the highest, when they were giving it to me, it was 80 milligrams a day. It made Ooh. me nuts. Wow. Made me nuts. Um, seven, seven, I could understand you can, you can live with that and you don't have the moon face. I mean, at Reg, honestly, you look great. You, <laughs> Thank you. you. really do. You look awesome. Um, of course, our uh, listeners can't see you, but uh, we've got, I'll have some pictures of you on the Sarkfighter Facebook page and then and, uh, I'll share you can, and uh, you can put them on your I, I have not been able to gain any weight, though. I'm, I mean, I came out of the hospital, went around 161, 163, yeah. and I've been the same ever since for the most part. Yeah, you're so not about, the same. How tall are you? Um, I think I came out of the hospital around 150, but I'm about 163. I'm, I'm just kind of like where I am. I'm 5'9", but my weight always yeah. been around 175, 180. So yeah. I got a good weight loss program going on, man. <laughs> so, so I've been talking to some of the folks on the podcast about their diet. And I probably, if I had more discipline, would do the, I don't know if I'd go vegan, but I would definitely go more vegetarian because everything I'm hearing is that's more anti-inflammatory. Yes. Um, but I don't have the discipline because I just love a cheeseburger. But yes, you're, yes, yes. And you're doing like vegan. Tell me about that. Well, I'm, I'm not completely vegan, but I would say majority of my, you know, my meals is basically it's non-dairy. Uh, I may do a little dairy every now and then, um, but you know, I just keep it simple. Uh, I try to do about 75% raw. Uh, mostly I eat a lot of vegetables, a lot of steamed vegetables, a lot of salads, 
um, you know, I throw some brown rice in there as well. Yeah. Um, beans is my, my, is my protein. I do a lot of soy, organic soy yeah. uh, for protein. Um, but uh, for the most part, um, I just keep it, yeah, I keep it simple as much as possible. I mean, as a sarcoidosis patient, as a heart transplant patient, you're always trying to find ways to live life as simple as pos- possible. So I don't do anything, you know, too big or too, na- you know, fancy, but just keep it simple. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, like I said, a lot of salads, um, a lot of um, uh, steamed vegetables, broccoli, um, cauliflower, cabbage, you know, those type of little things sure, there. And sure. yeah, yeah. Uh, is that is that the way you always lived or is that something you... For the most part, for the... For the past 22, 23 years, probably, yes. So I was already living here. See, this is the thing. And this is why the doctors were shaking their head at the beginning because they said, Reg, you're healthy, man. You don't drink. You don't have cholesterol issues, high blood pressure. Your arteries are clear. Uh, you, you know, you're a vegetarian. They, they kept shaking their head trying to figure out what was going on. So they kept treating the symptoms because they're thinking we could just treat the symptoms. Maybe he recovered because he's a healthy, I mean, he's a healthy guy. He was a healthy guy. Right, yeah. right. Man, I'll tell you because <laughs> I was hoping that if I sacrificed all the all the things that I don't that I like to eat, that uh, that that would fix it. But you were already doing that, and you still got sarcoidosis. No, no, no. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, you're. Did I see that you're going to write a book, or you're writing a book, or things? Yes, yes, yes. I'm writing two books actually. One is um, yes, I am writing a book, Pain, to, uh, uh, Joy, and Affliction: Turning Pain into Praise. That's the first one. And so it's a, this is this is the de- a devotional book, and it's just um, beautiful devotional thoughts that was birthed out of my out of my journey, um, you know, from the um, basically from um, discovering cardiac psychosis to heart transplant and af- and life after. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, that's one book. What's the other book? The other book is going to be is going to be done with the journey going all the way back to 2016, but it's going to be more detailed. It's going to be more of the of the story. Uh, the first book basically just did with devotional thoughts, just a little, you know, a uh, uh, couple of little episodes here and there, but you're not going to get the full story until you get the second book. The second book is going to have the full story. Like, for example, when I share with you about the, the incident that took place during, um, there at the zoo, I call it the, I think it's like five or six miracles that day that took place. You won't get that in the first devotional book, but you'll get that in the second book. Well, just, just the fact you had somebody, a surgeon just happened yeah. to be there with his wife, who is a nurse, and there was also uh, someone praying for you. So you, you mentioned that you had yeah. you had relief coming from two angles that day, and that maybe is what got you through it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you know how the Lord kept his divine hands on me on the highway, and my family and others, where I could have had the attack, you know, on the highway. But it, it took place at the zoo, and the crazy thing about it, the zoo was packed. And the Lord put me in the right parking spot, you know, right in front of the entrance so I can walk right on in within a couple of seconds and have the attack right in front of the surgeon. The year before, we parked about maybe 10 or 15 minutes from the entrance. And, you know, and if I had the attack in front of my wife and kids, they wouldn't know what to do. But that particular day, it was right in front of the entrance, packed house. That spot was for me. It was a divine appointment. The Lord set it all up. And, um, and I talk about those five or six miracles that took place that day. Um, in the second book, I will talk about also what took place um, during the, um, the surgery night of the primary graft dysfunction, you know, and how the Lord allowed me to be able to get through that, um, that you know, get through that particular episode as well. And cardiac, you know, um, when my heart went into cardiac arrest, complete heart blockage, I will probably talk a little bit more about that in the book, but not in the second, not in the first book. But sure. see, there's a lot of things that I will be discussing in, the, in, in details. How will people get these books once you finish them? 
Um, I would say, you know, the best way is to, if they just join Reginald Health Journey, Reginald Health Journey uh, page, Facebook page, Reginald Health Journey, um, Reginald Alexander Health Journey uh, page, they will, you know, once the book hits the press, they will, they will get noticed right then. Uh, that would be one of the first place I would, you know, I would just, you know, uh, project, let everybody know, look, the book is out. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, uh, and I'll post a link to that Facebook okay. page. Uh, and we're looking. Show notes. So now, okay. do you know the backstory to your heart? Do you know whose heart you got or how it became available? Yes. They yes. With you? Yes. I met the family that, you know, it didn't take long enough to meet the donor's family. Um, the wife is from Greece. And um, the husband is from, U no, the wife is from Ukraine. Well, I think the wife was from Greece and the husband from Ukraine. Okay. And so who's, who did you get? I got the heart? husband. I got the husband's heart. How, how, how did he die? He died. Um, he had, um, he was hit with a, a brain aneurysm. Okay. So he didn't come from a car accident or something. No. Like that. He Man, he was healthy injury. for the most part. Um, he was hanging out with, you know, getting ready for Christmas. Um, him and his son and the family. I mean, their business is, is usual. I mean, they're doing pretty good. Matter of fact, they lived a, a few blocks from where I stay in Odenton. Mm. And, um, you know, a nice, beautiful family. The son is about 11 years of age. Uh, you know, you know, they had a business or two. They do, you know, both of the parents are very educated. Uh, they did well for themselves. They was again, getting ready for Christmas and he got hit with a brain aneurysm December 2017. And um, they rushed him to the hospital and he didn't make it, but he was an organ donor and you get the heart. Uh, yes, he was not. His wife was the one who decided to, um, you know, to, to go that route. And um, that's a story in itself as well. And so that will be in the book as well, in the second book. And that is an amazing story because she wrestled with that. Uh, the in-laws, um, they share with her, no, we do not want you to do that. And um, but she wrestled with it. She went on and did it anyhow. And. Um, and they, you know, be honest with you, they have cut her off from the family, her and her son, because she decided to give his body up, you know, to be used for, for, for organs to be donated. Uh, about six families, I know uh, he was able to donate a heart, lungs, kidneys. I mean, you know, the, you know six, of, six or seven of us was really, you know, we was, you know, seven lives were saved from what, you know, what he, you know, from his organs. Has, have the in-laws met you? Are they familiar with how you're doing so well? No, they didn't meet me, but I, when I, no, they did not have met, met the in-laws, but I did meet the wife and I share with her on behalf of the group that, you know, we're forever grateful for what you've done to sacrifice because she shared with us first the challenge, the challenge that she was faced with. Even with herself, she wasn't really 100%, you know, um, knowing what she's doing the right thing. And so, but when she met the group, met us all at the same time, for the most, most of us, she came back, um, she walked away for a few, about a minute or two in tears. After sharing us the story, after I shared with the Forever Grateful, she came back. She said, you know what? I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I did it. And you should saw the joy and you should saw the, the peace and the, in the midst of her affliction, in the midst of her, her pain and agony, she was able to get some relief, you know what I'm saying, from that, seeing that she was able to be a part of saving lives. And she said, you know what, I'm glad I did it. Wow. Wow. So now you're a spiritual person and uh, people have different opinions about what you need in the next life, whether you need yeah. organs or not. Uh, <laughs> And if you're an organ donor, maybe, and you don't uh, believe that, or you believe that you still need them in the next life, 
how do you handle that spiritually? What do you believe? You know, um, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a case by case, but you know, these organs that you have right now, I mean, you're not going to take them home with you up the glory when it's all said and done. Um, the Bible makes it very clear that we will receive new bodies. Um, not only that, but we will also receive a new name. And even the clothes that you got on your back right now, it's not going. The Lord God, the word of God said, you also receive a new robe. And so you're not taking these things with you when it's all said and done. But I would say this here is that, you know, um, you know, just knowing that, you know what I'm saying? It's give, you know, just, you know, um, save a life, you know what I'm saying? Save a life. And the, um, you, you know, the organs that you do have can truly indeed be a blessing to someone when you're dead and gone, it can continue. It can continue to uh, be a blessing to someone that they can experience, you know, continue to experience, you know, continue to, you know, experience life um, after you, you know, after you're gone and to be able to give back and to, and to be with their families. Yeah. Well, Reginald, you know, I, I, we need to wrap up here. We've been talking for about an hour, and uh, it's an amazing journey that you've had. Um, but, you know, for a lot of us, sarcoidosis is somewhere between inconvenient and extremely inconvenient. For you, it was life or death. Yes. And what advice would you give to people who are listening to this, who are dealing with sarcoidosis at some level? What, what would you say to folks? I mean, I would say this here, uh, stay on the doctors. Um, if the symptoms, you know, if you're having symptoms, you know, if your symptoms continue to increase, if they continue to get worse, look, man, don't stay silent. Um, keep bugging them, keep talking to them, keep letting them know exactly what's going on. Call them on every day if you need to, because I know that uh, because I've done that, it really forced them to really to look into the matter even more. Once they discover sarcoidosis, um, you know, it just caused them to, to really to, you know, dive into the subject, uh, to hasten the process of the heart transplant. Because they said, Red, you know what, come on in for these tests, because you keep calling us, you keep calling us, you keep calling us. And so I would say, look, don't let up, let them know what's going on. And if you're not happy with the care that you have, seek someone else out and try to find the right care, because your life is on the line. And yeah, so you've got to be your own advocate. That's what I keep yes. hearing over and over. And that's what I personally have found too. Uh, the doctors have a lot of patients and, and the, all the patients have serious issues and you can't expect the doctor to be the one who remembers your issue in particular, unless you uh, are the squeaky wheel, so to speak. Yes, sir. What would you say about um, to people about having hope for uh, getting through whatever their version of sarcoidosis is? You know, um, you know, number one, stay positive. Don't, don't think about the negativity. Don't think about the what ifs. Uh, because I'm a man, I am a man of faith. I do believe that God still heals and he's in the healing business. And so my thing is always move forward with a positive attitude. Um, not, you know, saying you don't want to be negative. Uh, keep pushing until you offer up your last breath. You don't know exactly what the turnaround you may, you know, may be at the end of the day. Uh, you may be surprised. I hear stories all the time that folks, you know, saying that dealing with sarcoidosis, doctors said that they only had two, three years left to live and things of that nature, but yet they're still living 15, 20 years down the road. So you never know. So stay positive. Just keep pushing. Do the right things. Do those things that you need to do. Eat right. Exercise. Uh, take care of yourself. Um, eliminate the stress as much as possible. And again, uh, just, you know, remain in a positive attitude. That makes a big difference. What affects the mind affects the body. What affects the body affects the mind. But I'm just saying that if you can stay in a positive attitude, you'd be surprised, 
you know what I'm saying, what they can actually do, um, you know, as you wrestle with cardiac, you know, not cardiac, as you wrestle with sarcoidosis. Yes. Right. right. Did you go to counseling? You know, when I did counseling before um, I was admitted to the hospital, um, I remember, <laughs> yes, I, I remember telling my counselor one day about two weeks, about a week before going to a uh, heart transplant interview that I don't think I'm going to make to see the heart transplant interview at the end of the month. But the Lord said it away where I was able to get it a month early. But I was, it was that time, about a week before the transplant uh, interview early I received, not the end of the month, but early, the beginning of the month, she, I said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to make it. And so I'm, it was a time where I was, I, it, was it was a struggle. And um, I shared with her, I don't think I'm going to live long enough. And so yes, for about a about couple months, I, I was seeing counselors, two, I was seeing two counselors a week. And so it was very helpful. Um, you know, it was a lot of good things that I learned from them, things of that nature. But, uh, but yes, I would most definitely say, you know, get some counseling, um, biblical counseling. I would definitely say that, definitely say that. I'm sorry for saying that I'm in the ministry, and, but it's the hope that they give you, you know what I'm saying, that takes you to the scripture, letting you know that God is still in control. That's the piece that I really enjoy at the end of the day, that God is still in control. And he's, he can, you know, he can turn this thing around. But counseling most definitely. And after transplant, I mean, even after transplant, counseling is, is a must. And I will say this for the caregivers. For those who are actually caregivers, definitely you got to get counseled before um, the transplant. Or if you're dealing with someone that got serious, you're having a serious issue with sarcoidosis, get some counseling uh, because it can really wear down on the household. If, you know, in my case, I was dealing with sarcoidosis for three years, probably, you know, three years before the transplant, basically. So a lot went on. And my wife had to endure so much. And I would say, you know, just watching her and her experience, I would say definitely, man, caregivers, you've got to get some counseling as well, not just the patient, but the caregiver as well through the whole process. Reg Alexander, thank you so much for sharing your story on the Sark Fighter podcast. It's an amazing thank story you for having me. struggle and recovery. Thank so, you for having me. Thank you. All right, so thanks to Reginald. Uh, a couple of takeaways from that interview. Boy, he is an advocate for people being organ donors. And we spoke a little bit more um, after the podcast was over. And he's going to really start advocating on that side as well. Uh, right now, he doesn't have uh, much, if any, sark in his body. Uh, he's got a little bit of spots on his lungs, he said. But uh, when they took the heart out, it seems like they took the sarcoidosis out. Let's hope that continues to be the case for him, you know. Uh, and then, you know, again, the whole notion that for me, sarcoidosis is, it's a nuisance. It's, it has completely changed my life, but I'm still living. I'm still working. I'm doing this podcast. Uh, I'm active in the community. Uh, we have a, fa a small family business. I'm able to continue to function with that. But for him, I mean, it was life and death. And if, if he did not have that heart transplant, he wouldn't have been talking to us today. So, um, man, I tell you. And then he's got lots of stories about folks who passed uh, that uh, he met when he was uh, in the foxhole, as he calls it, at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. So, um, but he's upbeat. He's taking it one day at a time. Of course, faith is super important for Reginald. I mean, that's that's what he does. He said counseling helped him tremendously. I can tell you it helped me. Uh, depression is a big part of what you have to fight with sarcoidosis. You mourn the loss of your previous life. 
and it's just hard to figure out how to take it day by day. Uh, so um, I think that's really important. And uh, he also suggests counseling for the caregiver whose life has also been turned upside down. In his case, it's his wife. In my case, it's my wife, Mary. I think she's a saint. Uh, and uh, she has not sought counseling. But, uh, but I, you know, if uh, she said she wanted to go, uh, I think that she would find that uh, extremely helpful. And, uh, and that's one of the things that Reginald suggests is, is keeping that caregiver, taking care of the caregiver as well. And I think that's, that's really important. And so I just want to thank Reginald for being willing to share his story publicly. And you know, in this time of uh, when we're not supposed to share anything medical about our lives, people here on the Sark Fighter podcast are just letting it rip and, and letting it all hang out. And uh, I think that's, that's super important and super helpful. Uh, and if you're listening, listen, I hope you find the podcast helpful. People are coming on and they are sharing their lives and they're sharing those details that a lot of people aren't willing to share. And I think that's very brave. So uh, thanks for Reginald for being the latest to do that. Until next time, keep fighting. A zombie just feeding that stumble and-